so lovely to be back among our church family here at Above Bar. Um, our passage tonight is found in John chapter 13, starting at verse 18, which is page number 1081 in the church Bibles. So that's John chapter 13, verse 18. And our passage begins with Jesus speaking to his disciples. I am not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas, Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the crock crows, you will disown me three times. Thank you, Lucy. Hello. Hello. Thank you. My name's Andrew. It's great uh, that we're here and that we're able to open the Bible together. Please, if you haven't got the passage open, could you turn it up for me? It would be a great help to me if you'd have it open in front of you. If you're using the church Bibles, it's page 1081. Page 1081 in the church Bibles. And the passage is called With Friends Like These. And I assume you know how that sentence ends. Do you? With friends like these... Who needs enemies? Yes, and I think it's a good title because at the beginning of this passage, Jesus says that he's going to be betrayed. And at the end of the passage, Jesus says he's going to be denied. So it, this, the, the title works for this passage. That we started a series last week in 
um, chapters 13 to somewhere else in John's Gospel. We're going to be going through John's Gospel, and it's all focused on Jesus. And I'm really glad about that, especially this week. Um, as we've been hearing tributes to Queen Elizabeth, they've been great, haven't they? It's amazing how often it's mentioned that her faith was very important to her. And I think it's great that that's mentioned. But you could get the impression sometimes from some of the comments that are made about Queen Elizabeth's faith that her faith was simply in God. And her faith was in God, and that's great, and that's wonderful. But Christian faith is focused on Jesus because it's Jesus who brings us to God. Through his death and resurrection, we have peace with God. We can come to God the Father through Jesus the Son. So I think it's wonderful that we're able to look at these passages which are all Jesus. Let me remind you or tell you something that um, I think Chris Webb read to us this morning, something that, Jesus, that Queen Elizabeth said in one of her Christmas Day messages. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Her faith was in Jesus, and therefore she knew God and trusted God. Before we look at this passage, let's pray again together. Father, we thank you that we have your word in our hands. Please take our lives into your hands and speak into them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The disciples are very confused. Last week we looked at the first 17 verses of chapter 13 and we saw that Jesus washed the disciples' feet and they didn't really get it. They didn't really know what was going on. They don't re realize what's going to happen soon in Jerusalem. But Jesus knows. This passage is going to tell us some things that Jesus knows as he goes towards the cross and the resurrection. So let's be open to the Holy Spirit. Let's be seeing what Jesus knows and let's be ready to worship him. Firstly, in verses 18 to 30, Jesus knows, he knows that Judas will betray him. Judas will betray him. He doesn't mention Judas's name immediately or at all. Verse 18, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. Jesus is quoting from Psalm 41 verse 9, the footnote tells me. And he's saying that saying that I am going to be betrayed by a friend. It says there in verse 18, he who shared my bread, that's a friend sharing a meal with me, has turned against me. Then Jesus says, very, uh, verse 20, Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. Learn, look at verse 21, please. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. The translation there is maybe a little bit weak. Apparently it, the, it, the expression really means Jesus is, it, it has a sense of revulsion, a sense of horror. 
What he's talking about now that a friend is going to betray him is just terrible for Jesus. And then he says at the end of verse 21, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. He means one of the 12, one of the 12 apostles is going to betray me. So we know that Jesus is going to be betrayed because scripture predicts it, verse 18, because Jesus feels it, verse 21, and because Jesus says it, verse 21. And just look back for a minute at verse 19. I think it's very important. Jesus says, I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. The Greek says, so that you will believe that I am. And I am is the name of God in the Old Testament. When God revealed himself to Moses, Moses said, what's your name? And God said, I am who I am. That's Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And here is Jesus saying, I'm telling you that I'm going to be betrayed. And when it happens, you're going, I want you to believe that I am. And that crops up a number of times in John's gospel that Jesus says that he is, I am. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 20. John chapter 8, verse 24. And especially if you're taking notes, but actually this is true even if you're not taking notes, John chapter 8, verse 58, he says, before Abraham was, I am. This is the one who is God himself come into our world. He is the eternal son of God, and he's saying, someone is going to betray me. But we don't yet know who it is. Verse 22, his disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Now, who is the disciple that Jesus loved? Almost certainly it's John who wrote this gospel. John never refers to himself by name in this gospel. He talks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's not John saying, he loved me more than the others. I think just John never recovered from his surprise that Jesus loved him. I hope that's true of you. It is astonishing that God loves us, that Jesus loves us, isn't it? So John is there. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple, that's John, verse 24, and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. You see, he's going to deliberately fulfill what was written in verse 18, who shared my bread has turned against me. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Wow, this is solemn stuff, isn't it? Here is Satan entering into Judas, taking control. Judas is making his own decision here, but now Satan enters him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. Then look at verse 30. And especially 
the last four words. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. I mean, John writes that because it was night. But I think John is also wanting us to think it was night in Judas's heart. He'd made the decision to betray his friend, to betray his Lord. It was night. But do you see that Jesus knows all this? Jesus knows Judas will betray him. That's the first thing Jesus knows. And yet he doesn't leave. He doesn't run away. He stays where he is. He stays in Jerusalem. Because he's determined to go to the cross to die for our sins. It is astonishing love. The second thing Jesus knows is in verses 31 to 33. God will glorify him. Verse 31, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Jesus is saying, I'm glorifying the Father and the Father is glorifying me. He will glorify me. Look at the beginning of verse 31. Now the Son of Man is glorified. And it's interesting that Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man. Sometimes the Son of Man in the New Testament simply means me. You could say the Son of Man is going shopping and that just means I'm going shopping. But sometimes the phrase the Son of Man is a reference to the glorious Son of Man of Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 7... In the Old Testament, Daniel has a vision. And I'm going to read you two verses from Daniel chapter 7. This is about Jesus. This is, a, this is fulfilled by Jesus. Daniel says, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. That means he approached God and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's about the Son of Man. And here's Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. He is the fulfillment of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus is the glorious Son of Man, and Jesus says, I'm glorifying the Father, and the Father is going to glorify me. Now, looking at, I don't know if you really heard those verses from Daniel. Don't worry, I'm not going to read them again. But those verses are talking about the exaltation of Jesus after his death and resurrection and ascension it's talking about him coming back into glory coming back to his father but actually 
John's Gospel says that the glorification of Jesus, Jesus being glorified, starts before his exaltation. It starts at the cross. When Jesus is lifted up on the cross, he is being glorified. In fact, he says in John chapter 3, it's the passage that Chris preached for us this morning. Do listen to it online, please. Jesus says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, Now, when Jesus was crucified, he was nailed to a cross, and then the cross was lifted up. So literally, he was lifted up, but the word also means exalted, glorified. If you want to see the glory of Jesus, look at him dying on the cross for our sins. So Jesus is saying, God will glorify me at the cross, at the resurrection, and at the exaltation. Let's worship Jesus. We can do it now. Let's lift our hearts to him and worship him. The third thing Jesus knows, it's in verses 34 and 35, disciples will imitate him. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, that's odd, isn't it? Because it's not a new command. Because Jesus has said, and the Bible says, we should love others. But actually it is a new command, because have a look and see what Jesus says next in verse 34. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. This is explaining what our love for each other should look like. Jesus is saying, think about my love for you. Think about how I've loved you. Then love one another like that. That is breathtaking, isn't it? It's an extraordinary command, and Jesus is saying, love one another like that. Jesus is expecting that we who have turned from our sins and put our trust in Jesus, that we will imitate him and that we will love one another. We should love everyone, of course, but here he's especially saying, love one another, love other disciples. And there is something, it's, it's an extraordinary thing. We're very different from one another. And I've met some Christians who are extremely different from me. And you're sitting there thinking, it's good that lots of Christians are different from you, Andrew. I know what you're thinking. And yet, I feel a love for people, for other Christians. The love is there. The spirit is in me. There is a special thing there. I, I've even had the experience sometimes, maybe you have, I've been in another city or another country, and I've met someone, and we've been talking, and I've not known them before, and I've somehow had the sense that I've thought, I think this person may be a Christian. And I almost never have the courage to ask them, But then later in the conversation, I discover that they are. They're a believer in Jesus. And there's already a love there. And it's because the same Holy Spirit who's living in me is living in them. That's wonderful. And Jesus is saying, love one another. Love one another the way I 
have loved you. And that has results. Look at verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There is something special that happens when Christians love one another. Other people notice. I will tell you a story. The first time I realized this was true. This is a long time ago. This is when I was a student, when I was probably 19 years old. So this is more than 10 years ago. And I was in the Christian Union at university, so student Christian group. And we'd had our meeting, and there were about 60 of us in the meeting. And then at the end of the meeting, the doors were open. We were drinking coffee and um, just chatting with one another. And I was standing near the door, and somebody was, a student who I didn't know, was walking along the corridor outside to go past. And I just said, hi. And he looked at me and said, hi. And then he stopped. And he looked past me, and he said, oh, is this some kind of party? And I said, yes, kind of. Oh, do you want a cup of coffee? So he said, yes, and he came in. He didn't know what, what this was, didn't know this was the Christian Union. So I gave him a cup of coffee, and we had the usual conversation, where do you come from, um, what are you studying, that sort of thing. And we're chatting, and after about 10 minutes, he suddenly says to me, what kind of group is this? There's a real atmosphere of love in here. I mean, no one was kissing anyone else. But he had noticed something. I mean, I wouldn't have looked, I was so used to it, I wouldn't have looked around and said, wow, look at the love, feel the love. But he looked, and he could see there was love there. And he stuck around and asked, asked me what we believed. I, say, I said, it's the Christian Union. And he didn't just walk out. He started asking questions about what we believed. Ten weeks later, that's not the length of the conversation, but it was the beginning <laughs> of him met, meeting other Christians too. Ten weeks later, he became a Christian. And he's still going on with Jesus today. And it started with Christians loving one another. Isn't that wonderful? There may be somebody here tonight who would say, well, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not sure this stuff about Jesus is true, but I'm just wanting to find out. And you may even be thinking there is something about these people. Okay, they make mistakes. They do things that are wrong. But there is a kind of love there. You may already be thinking that. Please keep asking your questions. Go to Alpha, find out more. Jesus knows disciples will imitate him. Let's make a new commitment, shall we, to love one another? Is there somebody you could phone this week and just encourage them or send someone a card? or visit them, or you know that somebody has a particular need, you could say, can I help out? Or even just go up to somebody after the service and say, I thank God for you. Jesus knows disciples will imitate him. There's a fourth thing Jesus knows, and it's in verses 35 to 38. Peter will deny him 36 to 38 verse 36 uh, Simon Peter asked him Lord where are you going because Jesus has he's just heard Jesus say verse 33 
Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. Look what, Jesus, what Peter says in verse 37. I will lay down my life for you. This is Peter saying, I'm willing to die for you, Jesus. But Jesus knows that Peter will deny him. The end of verse 38, very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. And look what Jesus says at the beginning of verse 38. I have to say, I have never seen this before. Uh, you will be listening to me and you'll be thinking, well, extraordinary that you'd never seen that before. I had never noticed this before. Beginning of verse 38, Jesus says to Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? You could read that question like this. Will you really lay down your life for me? It's like Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to go to the cross because I love you. I'm going to go to the cross to pay the price for your sins. Will you lay down your life for me? I'm going to lay down my life for you. I think John, who wrote this gospel, never forgot this. Later in the New Testament, we've got some letters that John wrote. And in the first letter of John, chapter 3, verse 16, John writes this. This is how we know what love is like. Jesus Christ laid down his life for our sins. It's the same expression. He laid down his life for us. He laid down his life for us. This is the center of the Christian faith. But Jesus knows that Peter will deny him. How do you think that felt? But Jesus is determined to go to the cross to lay down his life for us. In, at the end of one of her Christmas Day broadcasts, the Queen said this. I sometimes think the message of Christmas is best summed up like this. And I was going through one of my cynical phases, and I thought she's going to say, us that we, say to us that we should love children, which is very good, or she's going to say we should be kind to, to people, which is very good. But instead of that, she quoted from John's Gospel. She quoted from chapter one of John's gospel. This is what she said. I sometimes think the message of Christmas is best summed up like this. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But to those who received him, to those who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God. That was Queen Elizabeth II saying to us, receive Jesus. Receive Jesus. This is the center of the Christian faith. That was, that was the center of Queen Elizabeth's faith. She trusted in Jesus, and so she knew she had peace with God. She trusted in Jesus. And the wonderful thing is, if we trust in Jesus, if we turn from our sins and put our trust in Jesus, we are forgiven now and forever. We are God's friends now and forever. Christians are forgiven not because of what we've done for God, but because of what God did for us when Jesus died. I always have to say that sentence twice because it makes my heart sing. Christians are forgiven not because of what we do for God, but because of what God did for us when Jesus died. Does that get you worshipping? The love of Jesus. He's determined to go to the cross to lay down his life for our sins. So that people like us, so that sinners like us can be forgiven and come to know God. The queen was humble because she knew that she had a king that she served. And Jesus is that king. And through this passage this evening, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me and to all of us and inviting us to serve Jesus the king, to trust Jesus the king. How are we going to respond to this? Maybe you became a Christian ages ago. You know, you've known for years that Jesus died for your sins and you trusted in him and you're still going on. Well, make the decision again now. Say to Jesus, I trust you. Thank you that you laid down your life for me. Thank you that I'm forgiven because of what you did when you died. But maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've never yet become a Christian. This is your evening. This is your opportunity just to say in the stillness of your heart, Lord Jesus, thank you. You laid your, down your life for me. I want to turn from my sins and put my trust in you and follow you. What we do now, what we pray now in this few moments of silence I'm going to give us can make this week different and can make the rest of our lives different. So that it won't be night in our hearts, it'll be day because the light of the world is living in us. Let's pray. Just a few moments of silence. Maybe there's one thing that struck you from this passage. Maybe it's the love of Jesus.
Maybe it's Jesus saying to Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? Maybe you want to thank Jesus for the cross, for dying for us. Or maybe you want to take that step and deliberately open your life up to Jesus and ask him to come in and forgive you. Just a brief silence. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you so much for coming to this, into this world. Thank you for the life you lived. Thank you for your determination to go to the cross. Thank you that on the cross you laid down your life for us. Because you loved us. Thank you that all those of us here who, who are trusters in you, we're forgiven. Lord Jesus, we thank you. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Amen.